Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. I am excited to welcome Dr. Jordana Quinn to the podcast today. She is board certified in PM&R, but currently practicing regenerative and anti-aging medicine in Colorado and working at a practice called Core Medicine. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So, so let's just jump right in. And I'd love to hear what your, if you could look back at your career thus far, is there one area that imposter syndrome has been the most glaringly obvious? Honestly, there's been a few different stages of my life where imposter syndrome has been glaringly obvious. So um, kind of going back to just my personality growing up, I was extremely shy. Like imagine the most shy person you know, and I was a billion times more than that. I mean, I wouldn't even like order at McDonald's or whatever growing up on my own. And at some point, so I think that relates. And at some point, you know, I kind of came out of my shell and we go through medical school and residency or even just medical school and you're that one intern on call and everybody is looking at you for saving someone's life. And so you realize, or I realized at that moment, I had to step up and be a physician and everyone was relying on me. But in my mind, I remember that moment just thinking like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I've had all this training and I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I definitely froze and I had a nurse tell me the guy couldn't breathe. And I had a nurse say like, have you thought about LASIK? And then like all of my training kicked in and, you know, and the the man was fine. Um, but, you know, I, I remember going home and for like a while thinking like I had to have like a nurse, like help me out. You know, am I okay with this? I'm not doing it all. And, um, you know, so I, I struggled with that for sure during residency when it's like, it's you. I mean, you are the physician. You, mm-hmm. you go from being a student your whole life to the physician on call or the one people are relying on in the hospital scenario is, or the hospital, you know, you literally life or death so many times. Yeah. And so you have to really, you have to work with those feelings for a long time. Yep, absolutely. I think com- very commonly for a lot of people, it's that transition period. For me, I, I had it certainly going from medical student to residency, but residency to attending is where it really became a burden to my life. Yeah, I mean, definitely medical school residency, like you said, residency to attending. I went immediately into private practice, but I mean, I remember again, the first, I went to private practice and there was no training. It was just like show yeah. up and literally first day on the job. I wasn't shadowing my person who hired me. Um, and so very quickly you have to, you know, work through all of those feelings. And then I remember, I mean, it still happens. It's never, I mean, or is it ever over? It has not been over for me. It's just dealing with different stages of imposter syndrome. Um, I opened my own practice a year ago and felt very confident or I feel very confident with what I do. I'm no longer that shy little girl. I mean, I'm, I'm confident. I know I do a good job and opening your own business and having patients come in who I'm a cash practice. Nobody has to see me. Mm-hmm. And so it's very intellectually reaffirming and emotionally when people come to see me, right? They, they have yeah. a choice. And, and patients tell me, um, you know, you, you cured my knee pain. I can't believe you did stem cells and my knee pain was gone in six you know, weeks. And people yeah. only told me I needed surgery and just, you know, you're such an amazing doctor. You, did whatever you did. And that's very affirming, but you have these moments of imposter syndrome. And for me, it happens a lot actually in my, in my business. I, because I'm a rehab doc, I go to a lot of orthopedic conferences, which are um, mainly, you know, older men. And um, so I'm one of 
maybe three women in a group of 100 people, or that's about, you know, whatever the 3% of women in these orthopedic conferences. And I have it all the time, just like, you know, am I good enough? Or mm-hmm. they, they talk and they kind of, you know, beat their chest like they know what they're talking about. Um, and they do know what they're talking about. But in the regenerative medicine field, I've honestly, I've been doing it for over 10 years. And that's, <laughs> that was at its infancy back when I started doing it. And so now I've gone to conferences in the recent couple of years. And I still feel that, you know, do I belong here or do I know what I'm talking about? But, um, but when I go to these conferences, I know more than 80, 90% of the people there, you know, so it's just, it's a mindset, you know, which is so interesting because I always struggle with it. But intellectually, I understand that I'm doing the right things and my patients are getting good results and I have good feedback, but I, I still honestly constantly struggle with it. Yeah, I think it's a good, that's a good point to bring up that it never really goes away. It's just the importance of the recognition of it really is really what matters. And I think it's true for many women physicians that, especially who are in a field that's more male dominated, that that being in a room filled with mostly men brings out those feelings of imposter syndrome. Totally. I was, I mean, at my recent conference that was, I mean, orthopedic based, it's PM&R ortho and it's all, I mean, 99.9% of the people are physicians, PAs are welcome. And I sat down with a friend of mine for dinner after the conference. And um, I mean, this is what happens as females. We sat down for dinner. And so uh, some other person came up and he didn't have a place to sit. And I was just like, hey, you could join us at our table. But my friend and I were actively involved in conversation. And I was literally telling my friend kind of what to do with regenerative medicine. And we were just talking about business. And this male sat next to us. And then, you know, I just looked because I didn't want to be rude. And I said, hey, you know, what's your name? Whatever you say. And he told us his name and then he looks at my male counterpart and is like, so you own your own practice, talks to him for a while, does not even acknowledge me. And then finally, when he acknowledges me, looks over and goes, is she your PA? And I was like, oh my God. So, I I mean, I literally, like, you're just shocked in that moment. I wish I saw him the next day because I wanted to be like, oh my gosh, like you are part of the problem of imposter Mm -hmm. syndrome. So you... um have kind of transitioned from the PM&R space to more of the regenerative medicine space. In that transition, did you find that imposter syndrome showed up for you at all? You know, it it showed up for me in the form of, I honestly think as a physician being in the regenerative medicine, which I'll put under the cat, the, you know, umbrella of alternative medicine. Mm -hmm. So when you're in the alternative medicine space, it really brought out a bunch of, you know, like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm very good PM&R doc. I mean, I can do spinal injections with my eyes closed, essentially, you know, I could do all of these things. And now I found alternative medicine, regenerative medicine. And so I was very worried about other physicians thinking Mm -hmm. I was a quack and like, didn't know what I was doing. And like, she doesn't know, you know, and, and so I honestly struggled with that for years. This interesting, it, it came up with just the imposter syndrome of, well, I really am a doctor. I'm not just, I don't know, someone else who doesn't, like I've had all the training. Right. I worked with, I was chief resident in PM&R. I'm really good at PM&R, but this is what resonates with me, you mm-hmm. know? And now that I'm doing regenerative and anti-aging medicine, I truly feel like I'm helping my patients in the best possible way that I can. And so it's not your typical Western medicine, but I struggle with that. You know, my, my patients love me, honestly, and and I definitely do what's right for them. And I think the benefit of seeing me is that, you know, I can tell them when, hey, this is, 
go see a rheumatologist. Like you have something wrong. We can't just treat you with regenerative medicine. But yes, I struggled with like the imposter syndrome of like, well, I'm not really, you know, a naturopath. I'm a DO, but you know, really good at Western medicine, but this is what resonates with me. So just kind of, I don't know, being a quack to my peers was important to me. And I think that falls under the guise of imposter syndrome, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think so. And you know, what's, what resonates with me about this is that there is a culture, I think, an underlying culture in medicine of judgment Yes, among other physicians. And I think that's something that we need to work on because it leads to burnout and people working so hard that they quit when they're a year or two in. And it leads to people who can't, who are working so hard and neglecting their family or neglecting their health versus just allowing people to develop into the physician they they choose to be in whatever way that looks like to them. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard because we're so competitive as physicians. I mean, you know how hard it was just to get into medical school, right? I mean, that was probably the worst, you know, like Mm -hmm. of the competitiveness. And then even in medical school, it's super competitive. I found residency to be less so, at least for me, my residency, there was four of us in my class. Um, and we're all in it together, but it's still somewhat competitive. I mean, that's just the nature of our business. And so I don't know. And even now outside of practice, I think most of my peers tend to be pretty supportive, but I don't know. I just, you know, for me, it was this concept that other people were going to think I was a quack just because as physicians, we can't recognize or acknowledge that we actually don't know everything there is to know Mm -hmm. and, or that the information does change the more we learn that that's a problem. I mean, and I think for our patients, we have to be confident. but we truly don't know everything. I mean, 100 years ago or even 50 years ago or 20 years ago, we thought we knew everything about, I don't know what, fill in the blank. But Mm -hmm. medicine has changed and medicine is evolving. And I think we have to be okay with that and say, you know what, this is the best we could do for our patients at the moment. And this is all of the resources and information I have. And I am treating you the best that I can. But I think even we shoot each other down when it's different as opposed to saying like, okay, that could be, that could be okay. I mean, definitely in my field, like regenerative medicine could be okay. Someone has to be a pioneer in the field to move things along in medicine. Cause I don't personally believe that putting people on 10 and 20 different medications with a bunch of different conflicting side effects is the best way to treat people. And I used to do that type of medicine, you know, and, and I never was worried about being a quack, you know, but my patients are so much more healthy now. Yeah. You know, like, so it's just, it's a funny, um, it's a funny thing in medicine. It is. Yeah. And I think that goes, that speaks to this role of perfectionism that I think so many doctors have and you must know everything at every moment. And there's a, there's a very clear right and wrong. And I think that's true sometimes, but not the majority of the time, because like you said, you, it's impossible for one person to know everything in medicine. And it's that camaraderie and the willingness to be always learning that makes people better. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting. I mean, you know, on the there's a bunch of physician Facebook pages and it became very clear to me on one of the, you know, women's mom physicians mom group page, you know, someone would post something about you know, it's great, like continuing medical education. Like, what do you think this is? Like from a dermatologic standpoint, or I had a patient, you know, with this I mean, in PMRs in the women PMNR group, there was someone who said like, "Oh, I have a patient with like right luteal pain or whatever, you know, and I did X, Y, and Z, what do you guys think it was? And there was about 20 different answers. Mm -hmm. All of them could have been right, but everyone was sure about their answer. And it just Mm -hmm. like, why can't we just look at that and say clearly, like there's room for interpretation. (laughs) But 
we're so as physicians just trained to be right, you know, and I, I do think it's it's a problem. So it so it lends itself to imposter syndrome because you never feel good enough with the whole perfectionist thing and the like. Mm-hmm. Well, I really am a doctor, you know, I'm a DO and then I became a PM&R doc. Nobody knows what those two things are. It's like, yeah. <laughs> people think I'm like a glorified physical therapist or something. But, and then I went into alternative medicine. Forget about it. Nobody knows what I do. You know? <laughs> but I, and I think that's where it's so important, this, this thought of like authenticity, because I really, I think that if you really can become the most authentic version of yourself and own that that's where you can become more immune to these imposter syndrome. Agreed. I mean, I have, I have conversations with my patients because I practice, you know, I honestly, I'm on like the forefront of medicine that's changing very mm-hmm. often and I keep up. I mean, I go to more conferences than most physicians. I go to like two or three a year um, because the medicine is changing and I want to learn and that's my personality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, so I can have conversations with my patients, you know, about, whatever, and say, I don't know. And they're mm-hmm. okay with that. Or I say, I'll re- research because to me, I love learning. So they'll ask me about something. I haven't heard about it. I don't, I no longer have this feeling that like, I have to know everything, which I did when I left, when I just practiced Western medicine, to mm-hmm. be honest. And when I just practiced in this like very narrow-minded, like I am the authority, I am the doctor, I have to know everything mm-hmm. type of medicine. And so that's definitely freeing, you know, um, kind of something that we talked about at the beginning with like, it's recognizing imposter syndrome or just knowing that it's there, you know, you can deal with it very quickly as opposed to letting it weigh me down or like, I'm really not good at, you know, it used to weigh me down. I mean, for a long time, right? Like I would sit and just be like, I'm not good enough. Why am I going to medical school? I'm not smart enough. Why am I in residency? Mm-hmm. Everybody knows more than me, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. um, I mean, I've been a speaker at national conferences and you get up there and you talk about all your successes. Uh, you know, I'm never saying like, oh, this patient had a terrible outcome. And then you realize that's what everyone's doing and why it also lends itself to imposter syndrome because the speakers are all saying, you know, and, and rightfully so. I mean, you're talking about these rare cases that you had this amazing outcome with something and that's what we do want to hear. Uh, we want to hear the positive outcomes. We need to know the negative stuff as well. But I mean, mostly it's like, hey, this treatment worked, you know, maybe yeah. try it on your patient or whatever. And so you have these amazing stories as a physician. We have all the stories. We have great stories mm-hmm. with patients and we have not so great stories with patients, but all we hear in conferences are the amazing ones. And so when I started speaking at conferences, I actually realized, you know what? People probably look at me too and think like, whoa, she's like this amazing doctor. And the truth is I'm just a doctor trying mm-hmm. my best for my patients. And you know, at the end of the day, I go home knowing at least that I did what's right for my patients, you yeah. know? Um, so that's a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think there is that assumption there that especially when you're so burdened by imposter syndrome that you can't imagine anybody else feeling the same way. And then when you realize that your mentors or these really successful physicians have those same thoughts, it's like, oh my gosh, that's amazing that I don't, I'm not the only one who has thoughts like that. Yeah. I think, you know, in mentioning mentors, I think in, in medicine, we should have more mentors. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, we're pushed into medical school and the residency and you have people above you, but you don't have like a mentor that, and especially like as women, um, you know, if you have babies in medical school or residency, just having someone guiding you through and saying, you know, you can do this or, you know, what is the path or this is the struggles you might, I mean, I never had a, a mentor at all. And I wish like I just had someone to talk to that wasn't a peer or wasn't maybe someone going through it with me because they don't know and just someone who could tell me that it was going to suck for a while but then the yeah. light there's a light at the end of the tunnel or we we have a poor mentorship program and I agree school. I agree I think and I think social media is bridging that a bit but I do think that there's a 
there aren't enough mentors. And then in the, in OBGYN in particular, which is the, you know, I'm the most familiar with that field. There's a lack of mentors who are truly satisfied with their career. And I think that's hard too, because finding a mentor is hard enough, but finding a mentor who has carved out a perfect career for themselves so that you can look up to that. I think that's really what we need more of in medicine. It's so hard. I mean, when I was in my PM&R residency, again, mostly male dominated and, you know, the men would stay at work forever and be like, oh, I'm so busy. I have all this stuff to do. And like all of my surgical rotations I did. But then you just kind of realize like you're wasting your time. You could go home. But as females, I mean, I had a baby in residency. Like I want to run home and be there for my kids. There's yeah. just so much bravado and so much. I'm working so hard because I'm at the hospital for 24 hours as opposed to like, you could have been there for 20 hours and gone home, but you elected to waste your time. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. um, and so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think there's so much just, I mean, even when I was opening my own practice and people were like, well, you can't have a work, there's no such thing as work-life balance, you know, you're just going to work, you know, or you never, mm-hmm. never see your kids and it's going to take my practice longer to build. But what's important to me is my patients, my family and my health. And so, you know what, like I do right. wake up in the morning and go for a bike ride before I go to work. And then I work my butt off all day. And then I come home. And when I come home between five and six, I'm fully on as a mom. I'm generally not working. And then they go to bed. And then sometimes I shut off. I'm a morning person. So I generally shut down, but every now and then I do work, you know? And so, but had I honestly, like, unfortunately, like stereotypically just been like, well, I'm the, I am the primary breadwinner of my family and just been like, well, I'm working now and like left my family early and just like came home and ignored my family because I have to work. Like, I mean, my practice would have probably built quicker, but that's not what I want, you know? And so I think you can have it all. You just can't maybe have it all as quickly or as fast or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's such an an important point. And do you find that as you were building your practice and making those decisions about what you wanted out of life, that you felt any guilt from either side, either as a mother or a physician? So the only guilt I feel is because of myself, because I'm very type A and I want to do it all, all the time. And so, um, so I always feel like whatever I, no matter how hard I work, it's not enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, in medical school and residency, I didn't have kids. I could work. I literally in medical school would study until my head hit the books and wake up and do it all again. I mean, I would go to the gym as soon as it opened at five o'clock and then I would get to med- to class before anyone else and I would study for an hour and a half before class. And that's, so I'm very good at just go, go, go forever. And so, so the guilt for me was just, you know, yeah, feeling like I should dedicate more to my business. I'm great with my patients. I mean, once my kids go to bed, I'll call them. I'm an anti-procrastinator. So I'll call them at eight o'clock at night, you know, and and they're like, oh my gosh, you don't have to call me now. And in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm not going to call you from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. when I'm with my kids. My patients are appreciative. Like, I don't feel like I'm doing my patients a disservice. I think, again, I'm doing my business a disservice. Um, And then to be honest, in the past few weeks, like with the coronavirus and everything, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's when like I really figuring out what to do with my employees and just how to manage my business. You know, it's all been crazy yeah. for everybody. Um, and so the past couple of weeks, like I've come home and mentally, like I'm not here and I could tell my kids are feeling it, you know, they're mm-hmm. very like needy on mommy. And then I'm just kind of like, I can't, don't talk to me. I can't, you know, yeah. stop talking at me. Um, so every now and then I feel guilty with my kids, but I think mostly no one's perfect, you know, but 80, 90%, I have a pretty good work-life balance. Like I really try to leave work at work yep. and come home and be present. And, you know, I try to, I mean, I practice in the functional 
medicine space. So exercise is important to me. Eating healthy is important to me. So I prioritize that. So I don't know if that answers the question, yeah, but it's it just no. Yeah. Yeah. So knowing that guilt is self-inflicted, which I think is true for many women, certainly for myself, what has helped you to kind of break that cycle in your own mind? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think just knowing that I'm doing, it's not even, I don't even want to say the best I can, but knowing, I mean, you know, because it's, it's never perfect. Right. So, um, so I'm not here to please my kids, for example. So our kids all eat extremely healthy and people are always like, you're so lucky you have three kids that eat healthy. I'm like, it's not luck. It took work. Right. Right. So there was tears by them and there was tears by me when they were younger. (laughs) But like, and I have to give thanks to my husband. I mean, he was like, we're not making, you know, whatever, but we spent, my kids are nine, eight and five. And we spent years with, this is what we're having for dinner. And we, I mean, we eat a lot of vegetables. This is not like we don't eat crappy food. So and they would say, I don't want it. And we're like, I don't care. Go to bed hungry. And so there was tears, but it was work. But I know, I knew that what I was doing at the time was right, you know? And so mm-hmm. now they're nine, eight, and five, and you could put anything in front. I mean, anything, like you name it. We can go to Thai food. We can go to pizza. We can go to sushi. We can go to anywhere and they will eat it or mostly eat it. There's no, there's nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and so again, because I also practice in the functional medicine space, like it's important, right? And so so I think what's helped is just, I don't live my life by trying to please other or do, do what I think other people want me to do. I really believe that I do what's best for my patients. Mm-hmm. I do what's best for my family. Like I said, I'm present when I come home as a mother, like I'm not perfect by any means, but I think I do a good job. I don't know if that, you know, sounds yeah. like conceited, but I really think I do a great job for my patients. I do a great job for my kids. I do as good of a job as I can for myself. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's important for, especially as a woman to just come out and say that, because I think as women, we're so fearful of, like you said, like coming off as arrogant or conceited, but it shouldn't be like that. It's, this is, this is what I've worked hard to achieve. And I'm proud of that. And you can, that is that is so helpful for younger women to see that and be like, I, you know, this is a, this is a possibility for me. This is attainable and it doesn't have to be from this place of arrogance. It's this this place of like you, I have this and you can have it too. Absolutely. I mean, I think if you just think truly in your core that what you're doing is right, you know, like you're not harming others. And Mm -hmm. I mean, what else, you know, do we have? There's, Mm -hmm. um, I'm watching star Wars with my kids right now. And um, I think in the second or third one, when Luke Skywalker is meeting Yoda and they're doing their training for to become a Jedi, and this just really resonated me, with me. And so at one point, Luke Skywalker is going into the forest, and he hears something, and he's like, "What's in there?" And um, Yoda says, "Only what you bring with you." And that just like was so powerful to me because that's life, man. I mean, literally, our fears. Is it's only what we bring with us. Our imposter syndrome is truly, it's all in our brain. It's only what we bring with us. It's not, it's not real. It's not tangible. You know, I mean, it's like literally that was last week and I was like, Oh my God, that's so true. (laughs) It's, it is true. And I think you bring up another really good point that if we live our living to try to please others, that is like the complete opposite of being being authentic and you never really are allowing yourself to become who you're supposed to be. And I think unfortunately med doctors in particular are primed to live 
for someone else yes. and respond to emails and, you know, they, their patients must come first, even though, even above their own health and all of, you know, especially as a resident, like you're always serving. So I think it's this service that is, com- that it completely ignores your own health. That seems to be the goal. And I think that's backwards. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think obviously medical school and residency served a purpose, weirdly, and even the rigorousness of it and the not funness of it. But um, yeah, there, there's a time, you know, I mean, there's plenty of people I know that I perceive to maybe take care of themselves first and foremost too much and never <laughs> um, give back. But I think, yes, as physicians and as women, we are, you know, mostly you know, I, I love helping people. I mean, it's, it's in me as a person, like I've even before I was like, you know, med student or whatever, it's just ingrained in me. Like I love it. Mm -hmm. I think being a mom has been natural for me because I love being a caretaker, but it is hard as a, as a physician and a mother, you know, to be the caretaker all the time and then find time for yourself. And I have to say that that is definitely my downfall. Like I will work and keep working, but I enjoy it. Um, and I totally do it on my terms but I will forget to just, you know, give myself a break. I'm, I'm good at exercise because I have been an athlete my whole life. But at some point, like for me, I don't know what I'm doing if I'm not like working or exercising or taking yeah. care of my kids. Like I don't know how to just be. Also, when you asked, you know, what's helped me kind of get over imposter syndrome or mindset and living your truth is, you know, I don't know. I've been meditating for the past, like off and on for the past two years, mm-hmm. um, mostly off. And then in the past six months, kind of more on. And I don't notice that it helps like in my, I don't think it helps in my day in and day out, but I have to say that everyone else seems to think, all these people seem to think it's made a huge difference in their in their life. And I really knew I needed something to kind of bring down the stress with business startup and all that. So I've been waking up and trying to do it. Um, but I've been taking the pressure off like in that, A, if I do it, great. And if I don't, it's okay, you know, because yeah. I'm, again, very type A. I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it the best, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I for myself. But with this whole, with the coronavirus, and honestly, these past two weeks have been insane from a, you know, mental, yeah. emotional standpoint. Um, and I've been very weirdly optimistic, like with my business mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, positive. And so I don't know if that's meditation or what, but I'm just, and not that I'm a pessimist at all. I would never call myself a pessimist, but I'm definitely not an optimist. And I just, I honestly think I'm a realist, like, well, you could be good or you could be bad or you could be successful or you could not. And I've just been like, no, like my business is in a good place just from a, I mean, I have amazing nurses and amazing employees and like, we're going to get through this, you know? So I don't know if like meditation and just being able to take a step back has been helpful, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I would think so for sure. I think it helps you to kind of live in the moment and not, you know, do the, all those foreshadowing things. I think to your point about physicians, you know, we as physicians are natural caregivers and healers, like you said. And I think it's it's finding that fine line for you as an individual of what's going to help you to give to the best of your ability and for you, like it's exercise or meditation or gratitude or whatever it is. But yep. it's the important thing is finding something like that. Yeah. And also, honestly, I mean, in opening my own business and, you know, we've been in medicine forever and it's nice because patients will take advantage of you, not all patients and not all people, but you have those few and it's really those few kind of sour apples that will rule like your day or rule your practice or rule your, you know, most people are amazing. And then it's just a few that can really ruin it. And, um, and, you know, we are in a, 
people come to see us because they need something, right? Like they're in pain or they're having a baby or whatever the case may be. Like they need something. My patients are typically in pain. Um, and so they're not, in, they're not their best either. Um, so there's very little thanks, right? Because they're feeling bad and then you get them to feeling better and then they, you don't see them again. So mm-hmm. it's not like a, a place there, there's a lot of thanks. Um, in owning my own practice or just maybe in age as well, realizing how to talk to those sour apples and not letting them get to me or saying, you know, mm-hmm. this isn't the right fit or because we are people pleasers or we want re- recognizing when someone's just, it's not the right fit or mm-hmm. they're just like unhappy and it's not you as a physician and not take it personally. Like that takes time to yep. not let it kind of ruin your day. Um, and not that I'm above it and that it never happens still, but you know, again, earlier recognition, earlier recognition mm-hmm. of imposter syndrome, or, you know, this patient's never going to be satisfied no matter who they see. Right. Um, which is the nice thing about aesthetics actually is those patients come in happy and they leave happy. Yeah. They're, they're not there for pain, <laughs> right? They're... So let's, I have one more question before we sure. finish up. What advice would you give to young physicians or residents about how to become more authentic and kind of rid themselves of imposter syndrome? I think if, uh, a few things, if that's okay. I think yeah. one is thinking about when you're in medical school or residency, why you're there. And I didn't come from a family of physicians, but a lot of my friends did. And so a lot of people I think are there because that's where they came from. And so just really focusing on why are you there? Because that will help you decide what field of medicine you want to go into. I mean, if if your father was a surgeon and you know you feel like you have to be a surgeon, you're not going to be a good surgeon if you're doing it for your father. If you want to be a primary care doc or something like that, go for it because you'll be an amazing primary care doc if that's what you want. So I think really thinking about why you're there, how you want to help people um, is, is very important. And knowing that you're not alone. Everybody in your class in medical school and your co-residents are also feeling imposter syndrome. And so communication, you know, when you're not feeling smart enough or good enough, you're no longer competing with each other. These are your peers. They're your mm-hmm. colleagues. They're going to be your friends. They're going to be your lifeline when there's pandemics and you're calling and it doesn't matter where you end up. It doesn't matter if you end up in surgery or primary care or OBGYN or PM&R. I mean, you want these people as your friends and your colleagues that you can call upon at any time. So, um, you know, living your authentic self, like really thinking about what's important to you. How do you want to change the world or help the people or whatever reason you went to medicine? And then, you know, just having conversations with people because I think we were such in the type A competitive mindset and no one like, you don't really realize when it's okay to just be vulnerable, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. I love all of it. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you. you so much for your time. It was great talking to you. It was great talking to you too. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for talking. It was fun. One more thing before you go. I wanted to make sure you knew about my mastermind coming up on May 24th. I am looking for a very small group of young physicians who feel the burden of imposter syndrome, who are feeling stuck in their job, who feel anxious and stressed and feel like they're not good enough. Essentially, exactly how I was feeling three years ago. And the mastermind is going to be a deep and personal dive into how to overcome imposter syndrome, dealing with your current personal issues. We are going to be figuring out how to identify the goals we want for our future and creating specific and tactical plans to get those things. I will leave a link in the show notes page 
if you want some more information about this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Again, I'm looking for a very small group of young physicians because I really want this to be a comfortable and supportive environment that we can really get some work done together. So I hope you check that out.